How's everybody doing? We're once again coming and wrapping up the Asian Cup podcast that we did with our regular panels. Unfortunately, Pej Manpars, Ari Reza, Paycon, and Sarkar Hashimi couldn't attend tonight, but we still had the regular attendees, Bob Agolriz and Sina Simeon. How you guys doing? Um, great to be here again. Yeah, me too. Great to speak to you guys. Yeah, and we have two special guests all the way. We have Tomas Tanicek from Czech. He's, he's a football writer. Um, does a lot of stuff on Czech football and also African football and Asian football. Very knowledgeable. How you doing, Tomas? Hey, uh, I'm okay. Uh, how are you? Very well, thank you. And we have the great Scott McIntyre. They just did a lot of previewing for the Asian Cup football in his in his host country. And um, I really, really thank you, Scott, for coming on. No, thanks for the invitation. It's good to be with you guys. Yeah. Cheers, cheers. Um, so, guys, um, as we all know. First, starting off with Bobak and Sina, we all know the expectations of Iran. We expect that we weren't going to win the World Cup, I mean the Asian Cup. So the expectations, as we all know, we tend to be more pessimistic about it. But as the stadium, as the game's progress, we saw that we were getting better and better and better, and we expected to win the Asian Cup. Um, before getting back to that question, um, how did you see the Iran-Iraq game, Bobak? The Iran-Iraq game, a game of two halves, literally. Until the 42nd minute, I thought we were well on top. It was our most attacking performance. We are good value for the 1-0 lead, and I I was already looking towards the semifinal. I know it was I was getting ahead of myself, but the way the game was going, I could not see Iraq coming back into it. I was thinking it's a matter of time before we scored a second. Just before that red card, uh, I was telling myself we're, we're dominating the game, but we need to get a second goal, preferably before halftime. But then uh, Ben Williams uh, struck, let's say, and the whole game turned on its head. So uh, fighting spirit, the team spirit was great. I was a little bit surprised that we lost our shape. Because tactically, I thought uh, with our style of football, whether we play with 10 or 11, not much would change. But uh, that those first 15 minutes of the second half cost us the game, in my opinion. See, now looking at the tactical lineup, we basically went with the same lineup we did as against Bahrain. Um, anything you, would you like to add? If um, if we had 11 men on the pitch, would you think we would have beat, defeated Iraq? Yeah, definitely. I don't... Um... I, don't, I certainly don't doubt the fact that we would have won if we had 11. Mm-hmm. But um, before the game, uh, I mean, bef- the game before um, Iraq, we played against UAE, and in that one, we had five changes to the lineup. So we were beginning to think in the quarterfinal, we will see will we see any other changes in the team? But um, um, I expected I expected Keres to put out the, the same team as he did against Qatar with Osman on top and mm-hmm. uh, Hajsafi coming into the team. And uh, he did that, and, and I think that is our best lineup. And, and as we saw before the uh, before the standing off, we were, uh, as Bobak said, we were on top. We scored the goal. There wasn't any real dangers. But after the standing off and uh, the substitution we made at half time, which was a bit of a forced one with Masoud going off and Amiri coming on, um, I thought he kind of uh, created a hole in midfield, which allowed Yasser Kasim to come into the game a lot more. And I think that's where the game changed a little bit because uh, when he got into the game more, he they started to create more chances and more uh, build-up play, and uh, they did hurt us uh, after the sending off. But I personally don't think he should have took Masoud off. I think he should have kept him on, just moved him to the left hand side, and. Uh, Amiria, for me, he's, he's a great player going forward. He's the only natural left-footed winger we have in the team. But I think from a defensive point of view and um, defensive discipline, I think Masoud would have been a lot better than uh, than Amiri. Thank you. Tomas, as we know, um, how Pulati got the red card, but would you agree that the goalkeeper should have been sent off or a couple other Iraqi players should have been sent off earlier than that? Um, what are your thoughts on the game? Uh... First of all, I don't think uh, the goalkeeper should have been sent off. It would be probably as harsh as it was in in the case of uh, Puladi. I, I don't know. I would get, uh, I would give telling of uh, both of them or yellow card uh, to to the goalkeeper. But uh, as as you said, it, uh, there were huge discrepancies in in um, Williams's uh, decision making throughout the game. Because he seriously could have uh, could have given a second yellow card to 
free Iraqis, and I think I, I, I'm not exaggerating here. Especially Mahmoud uh, show, showed some some disgusting, um, you know, like, like he always does, uh, some acting and uh, animated reactions. Uh, so yeah, this it really all it, it felt like he was going for some revenge on Kirush, and I'm sure Scott will talk about it later uh, about about Williams's uh, reputation to to really do such things, which is kind of baffling that he was even appointed in the first place for this game. Scott, how did you see the game? Uh, yeah, I concur uh, exactly with the analysis. I mean, f- firstly, I think it was it was an important game for the tournament because up to that point, you know, the games had pretty much gone to script, and 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 this one appeared that it was heading the same way. So, I mean, if you set aside all the all the controversies from a neutral point of view, it was an entertaining uh, clash. You know, a lot of uh, cut and thrust and and back and forth, and you know, if if not for the red card, it's almost certain that Iran would have gone on to win the game. So, yeah, leaving that aside from for the for the moment, it was uh, it, w- it was a highly entertaining game. You know, unfortunately, probably the the side that perhaps deserves to go through didn't go through. Uh, but sometimes football is like this. You know, sometimes things happen. I mean, down here, of course, we uh, all remember what happened in nineteen ninety seven when uh, you know uh, Iran was the beneficiary of of a moment of madness, not from a referee, but from a from a crazy spectator. So maybe things are uh, turned in some way. Mm-hmm. And looking at uh, Ben Williams, and I know he's very notorious in your country in the A League. Um, can you elaborate to the viewers about how he does in, in Australia, and if is if is that an actuality that he's actually notorious in your country? Yeah, well, you know the problem that we have here is the the problem that a lot of nations, not just in Asia but across the the globe, have, and and that's the fact that football is becoming uh, more and more a business. A, uh, you know, in terms of the salaries of the players and the professionalism around the game and so on, but it's not being matched by uh, professional match officials. We have no uh, full-time professional referees here. You know, you have a couple that are almost de facto uh, full-time officials because they're always off doing uh, Asian Champions League matches or, or you know, international matches uh, across Asia and beyond. Um, and, I mean, Ben Williams has in the past been involved in his fair share of controversial incidents in our domestic competition. One in a, in a cup match uh, late last year that actually saw him uh, stood down from uh, from refereeing for a couple of weeks. So I think I think it's fair to say that he's probably not in the top uh, you know handful of match officials we have here. But again, it's a problem with you know the the panel and how difficult it is to get appointed to these committees. So in many ways, your current appointments in AFC tournaments are being judged on where you were four or five years ago when you entered the process because it takes such a long time to, to you know, go through the step of, of, of getting AFC accreditation, getting FIFA accreditation, starting out with low-level appointments in you know, AFC Cup matches or Challenge Cup matches and then working your way up to the ACL and then, you know, qualifies for continental and international tournaments after that. So in many ways, officials, uh, you know, their hands are tied because the the pool of available, uh, you know, match officials is not as deep as it should be and, and doesn't necessarily reflect current form. You know, it's almost like picking a team uh, the, from the playing perspective on, on what players were doing two or three years ago would be a crazy... Uh, situation to have to do that but that's where we are with the referees so it's a situation that you know I think the the AFC needs to look at and, and maybe even FIFA the, the simple answer is we need full-time match officials and we need in my opinion a more current and up-to-date way of determining those appointments I mean I don't even understand quite frankly how uh, Ali Reza Fagana got the got the final match when you have a guy like uh, Ravshar Nurmatov who's uh, who's consistently been uh, in my opinion, not just Asia's best referee, but probably one of the best referees in global football for uh, for a long time. So, you know, I, I don't know how the appointments are made, but the, the simple answer to it is if you want less problems, you, you must, uh, you know, professionalise the match officials to the same way that you, you do so for every other aspect of the game. Thank you. So, Babak, Sina, this goes back to that question. As we know, when we played Bahrain, he was apparently officiating our match, and a couple of our players got elbowed and stuff. And during the press conference, Kairos warned and said that um, he hopes not to see Ben Williams officiate another game. Um, so why would the AFC would, you know, in the vital, vital game, potentially us 
could have winning it and not because of one officiating mistake. Um, what would you think they appoint him to our match, Bobak? It goes back to what Scott says. I mean, they they have a very uh, outdated method of appointing referees or getting referees to get into the system. Uh, Kirosh didn't exactly say, I hope he doesn't get appointed again, but he said, I'm not sure if he's able to understand the sensitivity of the, let's say, the relations between Iran and Bahrain. So for a game like this, you need someone who understands those tensions. I think there's some technical problems with Bobak. Sorry? Go ahead, Bobak. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I hear you now. Yeah. So Iran and Iraq is pretty much a derby, and uh, it's a tough situation, really. I mean, after his first game where he had one or two iffy calls, and as uh, during the game with Iraq, we saw that uh, it was not just a red card, but it was quite a few decisions he could have easily sent off, like uh, Thomas said uh, a couple of Iraqi players later, but he was hesitant. In fact, the red card itself, he wasn't aware that he had already booked Puladi just five or seven minutes earlier, which for me, I mean, in the, fifth, in the 40th minute of the game, it's not like a lot has gone. And for the referee not to be aware of what he did a few minutes earlier, it's a bit of a disgrace, really. So, yeah, I mean, AFC has a lot of problems structurally, and we've seen that. We've been at the wrong end of things a lot of the time. So I think overall, organization-wise and uh, structure-wise, AFC needs a revamp, and uh, it should trickle down into grassroots. Sina? Yeah, I agree with everything that Scott and Bobak said. I, I don't really blame Ben Williams as much as I do with AFC because referee mistakes happen all over the world, you know, whether it's uh, it's the Asian Cup or the Premier League or the second tier in, in, Iran, in the Iranian League. <laughs> it happens, but uh, what, what AFC should have done after what they saw happen in the Iran and Bahrain game, they shouldn't have appointed them again to, to another Iran game, especially after the comments that Kairos made. I'm not saying the, the things that he said were right. Um, I think we've won the game. There, was, there wasn't really any need to come out and criticise the referee. But at the same time, he did have a point in the fact that there was a lot of elbows flying and the, pl the players weren't punished enough. But at the same time, I think if you... If you're AFC and if you're in charge of, uh, of a competition like Asian Cup, you will automatically review the games and review the uh, review how the the, uh, the referees officiate. Then after that, I think they should have just uh, at least not uh, appointed Williams to another Iran game. That's uh, that's my personal thought. But at the same time, you know, Williams is not a great referee. We all know that. But as I said, I don't blame him that much as much as I blame AFC. Anything would you guys like to add, Scott and Thomas? to what Kairos said and why AFC decided to um, bring Ben Williams into a fishing air match? Well, you, you just don't know. I mean, you know, in some ways, uh, the, the comments that came after the first game could have even been the motivation to actually <laughs> give him the, the second game. You you don't know and we're, and we're questioning kind of things. But I concur as well. I mean, particularly the, the late challenge from Marwan Hussein, which could have broken... <laughs> Uh, you know, the, the goalkeeper's arm was a truly horrific uh, a challenge. Mm -hmm. And there, there were a couple of other, uh, you know, moments and, and incidents in there where the game it got away from Ben Williams. Actually, I, after I'd finished interviewing uh, Carlos Queiroz at the team hotel, uh, he, he said, come and have a look at this. And he had his laptop set up and he had a, a bunch of clips that would have been maybe six or seven uh, across the both games that he'd uh, deliberately taken aside and put into one little file and and he made sure that I, I stopped and he slowed it down and he looked at each one and he pointed out the positioning of the referee you know, look he's you know the, the line of sight is is perfect how he couldn't get this decision so he was still you know so so angry and this is a you know more than a week after the initial game and and, and you know quite a few days after the second one as well so yeah he he, uh, he he has a case, but I, I don't know what you do about it except for, as I said, you know, trying to, to make sure that all the referees are professional. And it's interesting to note that Ben Williams has actually got a Champions League game uh, appointment in uh, in Iran in a couple of weeks. So I think he might be turning up sick for work that day. Tomas? <laughs> yeah, I think everything has been said already, but... yeah. Like you guys alluded to, uh, it really seems like uh, all these appointments, even the Champions League one, uh, has been made uh, like uh, one month ago, and and no no arrangements uh, 
has been made all, all, along the way uh, at all because uh, it was really like a, like a teasing of bow uh, because we, we all uh, we all know how outspoken and how um, livid uh, Kairos can go can go and uh, you know th this was like uh, really laughing at him uh, I felt I don't know yeah yeah so just to um, just to put another point as what to Scott said about the Champions League game it's actually uh, ironic that the game is actually really important the Champions League one that he's been appointed to it's Fulad who are the Iranian champions against Al-Hilal of Saudi Arabia if I'm right and they're the um, you know the, the, runner, the runners up of the Champions League and putting aside how big how powerful both teams are. The uh, rivalry between Iranian clubs and Saudi Arabian clubs are very well highlighted in the in, in the past decade or so. So that game would be hard to officiate for anyone, let alone for someone like Ben Williams, who's had two chances to to ref a game of um, you know two rival nations or two rival teams coming together in a lot of intensity, and uh, he hasn't passed the test at all. So it'd be more than interesting to see how he does in that one. actually read something that I think that he's been pulled off that game. Now, it's not confirmed, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised because uh, I think AFC has pulled him off that game. Yeah, that'd be too much, I guess. <laughs> so, I have a question for you guys, uh, Tomas and Sky. Um, before the tournament started, started, who were your favorites and what were your expectations about the Asian Cup? Then we want to elaborate about the overall aspect of the tournament. Tomas? Well, Iran were surely somewhere up there uh, among the among the biggest favorites, and especially as the as the tournament wore on, I think I found them more uh, more balanced, uh, more refreshed uh, somehow with, with the new faces as Gafuri, uh, Pralingaji, and and others. Uh, so I was really confident in them that they can go far. And uh, this this was like yeah a robbery, uh, but uh, otherwise I, f I think you you guys can can take uh, lots of positives uh, out of the tournament uh, uh, game wise uh, performance wise. So, but did you, so you expected Iran to win the whole tournament? Sorry. Did you expect Iran to win the whole tournament, or would you, did you think it was South Korea? Uh, well, my favorites were Japan, which is not yeah. uh, any any better <laughs> now. But uh, yeah, I, I think I I had them uh, in the semi-finals, uh, obviously, and uh, possibly even in the final. Uh, I don't know. It, it was really hard to tell before the tournament because this one, uh, for me, it seemed to be uh, the most even uh, Asian Cup in ages. Like uh, mm -hmm. really, all uh, World Cup. Uh, World Cup participants uh, could have won it easily or uh, had uh, all necessary strengths uh, on paper. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's hard to tell, but they were uh, surely up there somewhere. Scott, what were the expectations of the Asian Cup for you before the tournament started? Which, did you actually like, think that your country was going to be able to win it? No, I agree with Thomas. I think it was... For me, you know, I've been following uh, and reporting from Asian Cups for a long time and it was the most open that I can remember because particularly after what happened in the Gulf Cup where there were so many uh, coaching changes, I think it was a ridiculous number, something like uh, 10 or 11 of the coaches had been in charge for less than six months of the national team and the four Asian representatives in Brazil, uh, you know, although the performances varied to, to a large degree, the results were across the board not impressive. So I, I don't think that there was a one particular nation uh, that came in uh, really with a heavy uh, favoritism. I actually said pre-tournament, I think you know, any one of eight or nine nations could actually win it. And uh, you saw, you know, with Iraq and, and the UAE making the semi-finals, I, I don't think many you know, people would have probably tipped those nations to make it there. So, um, and, and then it was just such a strange tournament as it progressed, you know, this crazy number of matches without uh, without a draw. So you pretty much had the favourites, if you like, winning everything uh, in the group stage. And then, uh, you know, when you got to the knockout uh, tournament, things were turned on their head uh, in many ways. And, and after that, it becomes, 
you know more and more about the small moments and and, and little things. I mean, it, it's no surprise that Australia, I don't think, technically are the the most gifted nation at the tournament, but it's in other areas, you know, in terms of the the preparation and and the recovery and the the sports science kind of aspects behind it that that you know we have certain advantages down here. I mean, I can tell you, pre-tournament, I was in the camp with the Chinese team. One day after they'd come, they played a a match against Oman, a warm-up match. They came back to the hotel. And they ate uh, the dinner in this buffet. They absolutely killed the buffet. And then uh, six or seven of the players disappeared out of the hotel. And I saw them come back an hour later. Each player in both hands is carrying a bag of uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. So it's, 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 and I can tell you many stories like this about other nations as well. So it's please, just, you know, the little so. aspects. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, any other funny stories that you dealt with that? I get in trouble if I tell too. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this point that you made, Scott, I want to ask this to uh, Cena. You know, um, usually in an Asian Cup football, you know, we see like draws and stuff, but we saw actually goals, uh, a tremendous amount of goals. They never saw Drew game and stuff. Um, comparing that to the African Cup of Nations right now, um, it seems like African uh, Asian Cup football has has improved greatly. Would you agree? Um. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the best person to ask in, in terms of the comparison between the two continents is probably Thomas, because I know he's mm-hmm. following the uh, the African Cup of Nations very closely. Yes. But uh, uh, what I know and uh, what I've watched in the, in the last few years, is looking at how that Asian Cup um, turned out, it was, as Scott said, it was possibly the best one I've ever watched. Not only in terms of uh, the unpredictability of, of the tournament, but uh, the quality, the games, the uh, the drama. Uh, of course, the Iran-Iraq game for the for the neutral was probably the best one, but uh, certainly not for us fans. But it was a great tournament, and um, it, in every game, I I watched as many games as I as I could, and I never went through it half thinking, do you know what? I, I'd probably be better off doing something else. And sometimes you get that with Asian football. You watch certain games and. It, it doesn't really live up to the expectation, but I think this tournament really, really stood out. And um, the fact that it was held in Australia, to a certain degree, it did um, catch the attention of the rest of the world. Although uh, I would have personally liked to see a lot more coverage in Europe. But I think based on the attendances that were in the stadium and, and, the, and the quality of, of the games and the drama, I thought it was a, it was a great advert for, for Asian football altogether. And Hopefully, in 2019, we will see even a, a better tournament. Thomas, what have you seen the biggest combining factor has been comparing the two tournaments? Um, to, to some extent, it's not really fair to compare both uh, couple of nations right now. Um, especially, obviously, uh, they both have uh, uh, its magic uh, and it's somewhere else, probably. Uh, but also... Uh, Africa Cup of Nations, I think, uh, is probably in in worse shape now, uh, even because of uh, the hosting uh, confusion. I don't know. Uh, in in the, in the worst shape in in years, and and the virtually the opposite goes for Asian Cup, as Sina said. And I really think uh, this Asian Cup was uh, was. Uh, Quite, quite a big leap uh, forward, uh, especially there was uh, some outright quality and organization even uh, in, in teams you wouldn't have thought they, they actually have it in themselves. I mean, even, even Kuwait, uh, almost everyone, or at least uh, I did, uh, thought uh, they, they will be smashed uh, and they weren't. They were quite all right and probably even better than Oman. And and that goes for for a lot of a lot, a lot of teams like uh, China and uh, and others uh, who uh, punched above above their weight uh, as Iraq as well. And also, I, I would point out that uh, there were three uh, domestic coaches in the semifinals, uh, which is really good for for Asia uh, as well. I think. Would you like to add anything else, Babak? Yeah, uh, Pasha, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask Scott something. No, please go ahead. Always ask Scott anything. That's why Scott is on here. <laughs> uh, since we're comparing African and Asian football and the major tournaments there, I, I know that there's a lot of scouts from 
let's say, European clubs at the Cup of Nations, and that's a historical thing due to the influx of African players into Europe. Maybe Scott knows, uh, was there much interest from European clubs in the Asian Cup? Were they represented there? Uh, yeah, there, there was. Uh, there's been a number of uh, scouts down here. You know, I mean, you're talking about general kind of agents looking at across all teams and then scouts uh, in particularly uh, working for certain club sides in Europe. I mean, there was a, a, a German guy, I'm sure you know, Pierre Litbarski was a... Uh, a well-known player and coach, and uh, he coached down here for a while. So he was back working for Wolfsburg in this tournament, and uh, was at the final yesterday. So there were, yeah, yeah, there were there were people uh, around, and it's a good thing because I think to improve the the standard of Asian football across the board, it's so important that we have, you know, more players playing at a high level in Europe, and there's so many players that are capable of doing it. At, you know, almost every nation uh, in the tournament, but for, but for the longest time, nobody has really been. Coming and looking, uh, you know, in depth at these tournaments. So, the 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 more the better. Anything else? Any other questions for Scott that just came up to mind? Sina, Tomas. Not really. No, I can't think of anything right now. <laughs> so, coming back to Bobak's question, Scott. Um, by scouts um, from various clubs, um, were there any primarily from the English clubs or uh, La Liga? Or was it just like know. basically local? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know the details mm -hmm. of uh, of exactly who was from where, but I guess you know maybe the question is we need to look at which uh, which players are capable of of playing at the next level, and right. particularly outside the the big uh, three, really Japan, Korea, uh, and Iran. I mean, if you look down the years at you know the players in big European leagues and at Champions League clubs, it's been predominantly players from those three. Nations, but I mean, everyone was talking obviously about Omar Abdul Rahman, the the uh, attacking midfielder from the Emirates, who was you know had such a great tournament and coming in on really limited preparation as well. So he's obviously one that uh, that I think everyone's talking about. But then you know below that, who are the players that uh, that really shone? I was uh, particularly impressed with Yasser Kasim, the uh, central midfielder from Iraq, who plays alongside one of our players at, at Swindon Town in the third division of English football. You know, so. The, the and and only because he happened to, you know the the story with many of the Iraqi players went to uh, England at a young age but surely he should be playing uh, at a higher level you know some of the the lesser known uh, Korean players for example the domestic based players were were very good as well the uh, Myung Jong although he can't go because he's doing military service at the moment but you think once that's done. Uh, he could move uh, as well. I mean, even someone like, uh, you know, Sadar Azmun, the, the Iranian uh, player who you know well, uh, you know, surely time has come uh, for a bigger stage, uh, perhaps even than where he is now. So across uh, every nation, you know, there was players that, that stood out and, and shone. So it's so important for the, the overall development of the game in Asia that the smaller nations are, uh, are continuing to get moves. And it's why it's been so disappointing for me here in Australia to see that, you know, we're pretty much the only major nation that doesn't have the three plus one uh, policy. You know, we've exported so many footballers from uh, from Australia, not just to Europe, but uh, to Asia. I think there's more than 50 or 60 players playing in various AFC leagues at the moment. But in return, you know, we're not really doing our part to, to help that exchange. So uh, hopefully that's something that we'll fix as well. Thank you. So, guys, I want to talk about the overall aspect. And um, before we talked to Sinan like we knew that we weren't going to win it. Um, expectations were, you could say, high. Um, we expected a lot. Um, I expected a lot, briefly, from Kairos. But um, we were in a hard group, um, and we all we all know that Iran was one of the least prepared countries coming into the Asian Cup with two friendly matches. And when it, when it finished, um, how did you guys see it now? Um, are you guys happy or not, Bobek? Uh, I think... Uh... Of course, I'm disappointed with the manner of our exit. I think the team had the potential to go at least to the semifinals. I think that much is widely accepted. Who knows what would have happened then against Korea? We've had the better of them lately. And I think it would have been a clash of quite similar styles in terms of uh, solid, uh, robust, uh, structured teams. Uh, but uh, if you asked me this question a few months ago and you told me, OK, we're going to go to the quarterfinals and lose on penalty kicks, but introduce a number of younger players and actually give us an optimistic look towards the future, I would have probably taken it. Uh, Correct. 
we know that this generation or this current side is not our best side ever. It's, it's largely the fact that we have an outstanding manager who has made more of the resources at his disposal than anything else. So we've seen Azmoun uh, break through the national team. Jahan Bakhsh is on the fringes right now. Poor Ali Ganji has been an amazing find. I mean, six weeks ago, most of us didn't even know who he was. But uh, in one of our earlier podcasts, there was uh, Sina who actually hinted that, you know what, I think he's uh, Kirosh has called him up to play him as a third centre-back. So that turned out to be well. We've seen Kafuri take the right-back spot, and I thought he was... He was very good throughout the tournament, and he linked up with Ashkan Dejaga quite well, and that gives us, again, hope for the future. Amiri came on on the left side. Uh, obviously, we know about Haisafi for a long time, and generally speaking, it was an, uh, it was there were more positives than not, and I, I think we're all a little bit more relaxed, especially if Kirosh continues as our uh, manager, as we look towards 2018 and becoming the first Iranian side to qualify for back-to-back World Cups. <laughs> So, you know, anything else would you like? One thing I also want to add is that one thing Sarkar Hashemi did say that was very, very true is that we, we might have lost the Asian Cup, but we won the future with our youngsters coming, as we've seen. Um, anything else would you like to add, Sina, to that? Yeah, I'm not sure if you remember, but the last podcast that we did in the coverage of the World Cup, we were discussing the upcoming Asian Cup and said, what, what are our expectations? What, what do we want from mm-hmm. these next six or seven months? And I said to you that I'm 100% willing to give up any chances or any hopes of winning the Asian Cup, if we have any chance anyway, in order to bring a new generation through, get through this transition that we are that we really need to get through and see some young players and and we did that you know as as Babak said the likes of Pur Ali Ganji and Surush Rafi as well Ali Rizal on band also he, even though he didn't play a minute uh, these are players that in in two or four years we they will be key players in into our team and as you said in in terms of preparation we were in the most prepared team um, but what we do have is a great manager and and uh, he as as we've seen in the last uh, four years, he is always prepared in terms of tactics. He knows the uh, opposition really well, and he sets up the team uh, really well too. But now I'm a little bit disappointed that we are now in quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. Looking at the uh, the performances and the results, three wins and three clean sheets in in the uh, in the group stage, which we, should, we thought would be really tough, but we got through it. We we quarterfinals. We played against Iraq, and I think. If you compare it to the last three or four tournaments, this was probably our best chance of getting to the final in terms yes. of the position that we had to play. We didn't have to play South Korea until the semi-final, but unfortunately, we didn't get to that stage anyway. And that is that is really disappointing for me because in the last two or three, we had to play South Korea in quarter-final, which is always a tough game anyway. Not, not only because of the uh, you know a bit of a rivalry that we have, but because they're one of the best teams in Asia. And this time, with all due respect to Iraq. They're not a South Korea. We had to play against Iraq, and we could have won. But uh, you know, it's football. It happens. But certainly for the future, as as Babak said, someone like Purali Ganji, um, even though he did play at centre back, um, in the long term, I don't want to see him at centre back. I've, I've said it many times. For me, he's the natural um, replacement for Nekunam in the long term. You know, he's 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 he'll never be what Nekunam is, but in terms of his playing style, he's very similar. He's For a 22-year-old, he's got a, a great intelligence. He understands the game really well. His positioning, his passing, he's, he's brave, he, his anticipation is great. And uh, it's the real challenge for him now is to develop a lot more. I would love to see him develop at the same pace as he's had in the last uh, two years. And that is, a, that is the issue for a lot of young Iranians who play in the, uh, you know, in the, in our domestic league. We do produce players under 22 and under 21. But the issue is to maximise that potential from 23 onwards. Usually they don't, they don't get any better after 23. But I think with the, uh, with the right guidance that he has in Naft, the club that he plays in under the right manager, and that was fit for him. And um, I don't want to see him move anywhere else uh, in Iran in any way. But if it's Europe, 100%. But in Iran, I would like to see him stay there. And um, I think, of course, with Kairos being in charge as well, he knows how to develop him. And uh, as I said, I would love to see him play central midfield a lot more from now on. 
Scott, I have a question for you personally, is that you being there in your own country and you've seen our fans and stuff, um, what, what, what did you most importantly see coming from? Because I know a lot of people, even my own friends in the States, were kind of impressed to see how, um, how passionate our fans are. And as you saw that in one of your uh, Australian articles, um, somebody quoted us saying that uh, at the ANZ uh, Stadium in uh, Sydney, that it was called the Little Azadi Stadium because of the amount of chanting and stuff, roaring that our fans did. Um, How did you see our fans and um, what were your expectations of Iran? coming into the Asian Cup? For, for me, the, the expectations were uh, were muted, purely not in terms of talent of the squad, because that's undeniable, but uh, the preparation had just been so poor and uh, and, and there'd been so many uh, problems. In, you know, you obviously know what they are. I'm actually reasonably close with one of the members of the backroom staff as well, who I speak to quite often, and just, you know, hearing from him, uh, you know, about the mood uh, in the team, and you, you, you just naturally have questions if, if it was going to work. And and then I, I was at the, the, the previous Iran-Iraq match, the warm-up match in Wollongong uh, a week or so before the tournament, and, and the fact that he chose on that occasion, Carol's, to really give the B team a run was was. Per- perplexing for me. I mean, I, I couldn't understand why, given the limited preparation, mm-hmm. why why you would not send out your strongest possible team. And I spoke to him uh, the day after and he said, you know, look, all these uh, younger players have the weight of uh, 100 kilograms on their shoulder when they come out to play for Iran. So I needed to take that weight off them if, uh, you know, I, I needed to call upon them at any point throughout the tournament, which, you know, with a couple of them he did. So in hindsight, again, it was probably... Uh, the right decision so uh, you know I think there's no question that from a footballing perspective they were one of the standout nations at the tournament it's a shame uh, that they didn't go further than they did and and from a non-footballing perspective as you touched on with the the fans and the supporters you know clearly outside of Australia the the largest in number and uh, including Australia probably the largest in noise uh, you know, we don't want to get too deep into politics, but I think the Iranian community uh, down here is uh, is divided in many ways. You know, supporters of the government, supporters, you know, opponents of the current government, and mm-hmm. so on. But the one thing that that brought everybody together, and you speak to people within the community, it's you know, is uh, is football. And I don't know if you also saw that there was a woman that uh, travelled down here as well uh, with a banner. Uh, you know, supporting the right for women to attend matches uh, in Iran. So again, you know, a very brave uh, decision, and and she got a lot of mm-hmm. support. I, I had a chance to speak to her, and you know, it was the first match that she'd ever attended was the Iran uh, Iraq match, and she said, you know, as a young girl growing up in Iran, you're taught to to hate, you know, Iraqi uh, people, but after the game, the two sets of fans were together singing. And dancing. So you know, if, if if the supporters of of Iran and Iraq can get together, then why can't women come and, and you know and, and watch football, which is their universal right uh, inside Iran, as it should be anywhere around the world. So there was a lot of uh, you know social movements that that I think uh, raised awareness of various issues that were good, and and just the fact that you know what's a divided community got to to come together and show their passion uh, for the game, and it was certainly something that was noticed by. By people down here in Australia, and, and you know, we want them now to come and, and watch the domestic games here. You know, they to, to feel part of you know a, a, a club and and you know that they can belong in our domestic uh, A League competition as well. So that's uh, that's the next step. Yeah. I know, Thomas. I know you briefly spoke about Iran and stuff, but um, how do you see it um, when we played against you know Qatar, Bahrain, and UAE? Obviously, they're much, much, much prepared than us, and uh, we were at least prepared coming post-World uh, Cup. Um, going into specific details, um, what were your, uh, did you guys think we had a chance against the Cyclones or winning the whole thing? Uh, well, Pasha, in the context of those two, two friendlies uh, only mm-hmm. you've mentioned, uh, I was seriously impressed by, by the whole uh, improvement of yours, uh, especially in Asmun, uh, you've discovered uh, just another dimension to your game uh, and in the end uh, you finished uh, and I would stress this uh, finished pretty much on par with the UAE in terms of shots uh, just one shot behind them and they are dubbed as an exciting offensive minded uh, team uh, whereas you're not obviously uh, which is kind of harsh and uh, this is 
this is a clear testament to Kairush's work. Uh, and also the right-hand side uh, was completely different, uh, with Dejaga getting uh, getting moved to there, uh, and Gafuri obviously inserted uh, all of a sudden, uh, as, as, at least for me. And they they both made made for for a real menace in all possible ways, like uh, work rate, uh, connecting with each, with each other, mutual understanding, and and so on. So uh, even though there are obviously still some spots uh, you could improve on, improve on uh, as Shoje uh, is simply not good enough at this point of of his career. I think he seems to be too inconsistent. Uh, in ball control, uh, too slow, uh, somewhat, uh, especially for for the key link uh, between midfield and front line. Uh, but uh, you know you have Zhang Bash there, so uh, he will do wonders shortly, I'd expect. And uh, therefore, I I see bright future for you guys, really. Thank you. I mean, we hope so, but you know we have a lot of people in, <laughs> in Iran that um, hinder that. But on Bob, I can see now, now leaving Iran out and looking at the other top Asian teams, um, who were you most impressed with? And um, do you think that as, um, you know, being in this tournament, has it helped uh, smaller countries coming back into uh, 2019? Yeah, well, uh, I think that uh, definitely the most impressive side or surprise, surprise if you can call it, was the UAE. And mm-hmm. they didn't uh, enter the tournament in the best of form. Uh, they had some injury concerns. Ismail Matar was ruled out from injury. Omar Abdulrahman had had a recent injury to recover from, so he hadn't had his, uh, let's say, the ideal preparation. But I think they impressed a lot of people. I expect this this UAE team to really push hard for a World Cup squad in uh, in uh, 2018 in three years' time. Uh, I think they have a fantastic local manager in Mahdi Ali. Uh, at least, let's say, the chemistry is right between the group and him because he's the one who's coached them since they were 16 or 17 years old. They have uh, one of Asia's top three, let's say, goal scorers, I would say, in Ali Mabkut. The guy is young enough to make the move to Europe. He's actually linked to a move right now to a German club, uh, and he says he wants to move, so I'm not sure if he will end up moving or not. He's, he's, he's very clinical, as we saw. Uh, obviously, Omar Abdurrahman, who I consider technically probably the best Asian player, but does he have the temperament to make it in Europe or move abroad when he's on a reported uh, ten with sponsorships in, uh, in uh, the UAE at Al-Ain? Um, biggest... Babak? So before we come back to Babak again, uh, Sina, anything else you'd like to add? Um, sorry, what was the question again? Um, the Look, team that you were most impressed with? Yeah, looking at like the big Asian teams and stuff and um, leaving Iran out, who were you most impressed with and least impressed with? Well, the least impressed I was with Japan, I think. Mm-hmm. I uh, tipped them to win it and uh, they... they they're knocked out in quarterfinals, just like us. But as Bobak said, UAE were the team that really impressed everyone. But we all should have kind of expected it. You know, this is the same team that took part in the 2012 Olympics and did really well with the same manager. And again, they really proved themselves. But the thing that really disappointed me a little bit was how the Iranians viewed it in Iran. There's a guy I'm sure you've heard of, Pasha Bijan Zolfawan Asad. He's a mm-hmm. he's, he's an old Iranian manager, and he's uh, very well respected in that terms. But he, he referred to UAE as a second or third rated Asian team, and you know this is a kind of delusion that we have in Iran, in, <laughs> in the view of, of the rest of the Asia, especially yeah. in West Asia. That mm. we automatically think we are better than everyone else without really watching them and then seeing how good they are. And UAE are in the team that they maybe they, they were 10 years ago or 5, 6 years ago. They're a lot better. They, they really trouble us. Same with Qatar. As I said before the tournament, we played them four times in the last two or three years and we only managed to win once and that was a 1-0 win in the World Cup qualifiers in, in Doha. Thank you. So they're, not, they're not the teams that they were you know once in the past. They, they, are, they're, they are really powers of Asian football and they will get better, especially with Qatar. I know they, they invest a lot into their Aspire Academy and um, there's a lot of good young players coming through their, their, you know, their domestic league as well. So we get to see more of uh, Qatar soon. But UAE definitely. Same with Iraq as well. Uh, 
they have a few good young players coming through. Of course, for me, the, the standout was Yasser Kasim as for everyone as well. But Dorham Ismail was another one, at, a left-back. And um, Ali Adnan, obviously, but he didn't get that much playing time. But they have a few young, good young players coming through. And if they keep up the same um, pace of development, uh, we'll, we'll see more of Iraq uh, in the next four years. Yeah. Well, like I know you were just talking briefly on a UAE you were most impressed with, as many of us were also across the world um and then who was your least uh favorite you saw and you least you're disappointed with yeah well uh, obviously as we said uae with omar uh, ali mabkou these are players that stood out and the national team i expect to push for a place for t- in 2018 but uh, most disappointing for me probably was qatar uh, Jamal Belmadi had done a good job over the last 14 or 15 months since he's been in charge and uh, they've gone into the tournament I think it was one defeat in 15 games or something like that and uh, it just didn't click for them it just didn't work out uh, I think uh, Khalfan Ibrahim's injury over the last couple of months uh, cost them uh, I also think adding uh, couple of players very late in the game in uh, Trezor, Abdullah and uh, Mohamed Montari without having integrated them into the team cost them at the end. They naturalized these two African players just before the tournament. He wanted to find a place for them on the team and you saw there was an imbalance on the side. Too many attacking players compared to uh, the ones doing the cleaning up behind them. So I really think uh, it was very disappointing from a Qatari side who is considered to be their best and they've been on an upward uh, uh, spiral over the last few years. So uh, It'll be interesting to see if they actually retain uh, Belmadi. I think he's probably just about earned the right to give this give a shot for qualifying for 2018. Otherwise, Qatar will be the first uh, host of the World Cup to have never qualified previously. Um, I could say China as well. They were impressive. It was a newer generation. They probably just about uh, did better than people had expected. Saudi Arabia, on the other hand... Uh, where is the end? The light at the end of the tunnel. It's just been too long since they uh, had something to say on a national level in Asia, and it doesn't look like changing yet uh, anytime soon. Tomas. Yeah, uh, Babak uh, basically said it all. Uh, to um, as for Qatar, uh, especially for someone who actually followed closely the Golf Cup they they won in uh, in the fall, uh, it was extremely uh, confusing the whole decision making the whole tinkering uh, from Belmadi uh, uh, I, I really don't know I, I actually think and it's probably conspiracy theory uh, on my side uh, but I think it, it was some some sort of there was some sort of some sort of uh, call from upstairs uh, to actually field Muntari in every single match as well as Trezor uh, which which wasn't really based on any uh, performance levels uh, nothing at all uh, nothing like that and I would may, maybe even uh, ask uh, Scott on on this uh, matter because uh, I know Belmadi refused to comment uh, on his uh, baffling uh, decision making or team selections and uh, were there any I don't know suggestions about uh, that it's not really his choice or all of it uh, yeah, Thomas, I, I don't know the answer to that, but, but I agree with exactly what uh, you and, uh, and Babak said as well, that really it was a mystery what what went so terribly wrong with Qatar, because I watched them play uh, several games in the Gulf Cup uh, as well, and you know, I mean, I, I know there were no representatives from the team, but the under-19 team did so impressively. So we know that the work that is going on at Aspire, we saw the left-back was very, very uh, impressive, although he still had his faults uh, in terms of uh, maybe not getting back and always covering his defensive duties. But he's the first guy that's really come through Aspire and, and cemented a starting spot in the senior team. So for the future, the, the sky is really, really blue for, for Qatari football. And I thought that, you know they would do very well in this tournament, and and like you, like Babak said, that you know the integration of the the newly acquired uh, foreign players didn't not only didn't work at all, but I think yeah, it, it upset the cohesion of the team completely. So uh, maybe your conspiracy theory is right, Tom. So I, I don't know the answer to it, but uh, you know it'll be instructive, I guess, to see what happens when the qualifiers start to see if those guys are still involved or or you know if someone else uh, emerges from the latter part of the league season and and forces their way into the team or indeed if someone comes up uh, you know one of the graduates uh, from the younger teams as well but yeah for me they were clearly the the, the standout disappointment of this tournament
Scott, I have a question for you. Um, knowing that um, you know, football isn't that big in Australia as opposed to you know cricket and uh, rugby. Um, now you guys winning the Asian Cup. Do you think you guys are gonna get much more? Uh, your fans are gonna get much more supportive of the issue. Um, is that gonna be? Do you think football might potentially be the number one sport? Oh, I think it's a long time before it's the number one sport because there, there's another sport that mm-hmm. you're probably not familiar with. It's uh, Australian football. It's uh, an indigenous <laughs> uh, game that's kind of a variation of of this uh, game they play in Ireland as well. And, and this sport is just, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a phenomenon. I mean, the, it, particularly in the southern part of Australia, they get, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't follow it, but you know, I think they get sixty uh, or seventy thousand, you know, regularly to to their games, and it's you know the front ten pages, the back twenty pages of all the newspapers, and you know, supported by all the television networks and so on. So to break the stranglehold of this kind of sport, I think it's not even a generational thing. I, I don't have <laughs> really, I have no idea how you do it because. Uh, you know, it's, it's so deeply ingrained in, in the Australian sporting culture. But but Australia, generally speaking, is a nation of uh, sports uh, playing people and, and sports loving people. So, I mean, even, you know, the domestic competition here, we were talking before we started recording, there's only one uh, division, there's no promotion relegation, and there's only nine Australian teams plus one team from New Zealand in in that league. So logic says that the league should struggle, but the crowds uh, have been very... Uh, you know, really very good. Mm-hmm. I mean, almost averaging fifteen uh, thousand. You know, at, uh, and bearing in mind that it's almost impossible to travel. You know, for away fans to travel for these games because it's an airplane flight for at least one, if not uh, you know, two three hours. And if you're talking about one side of the country to the other, it's a four hour flight in a in a plane. So the the game has been moving slowly forward. Uh, Alessandro Del Piero uh, came down a couple of years ago and had a really big impact. Uh, here, although not as much as you might expect, because I actually was in the, uh, one of these bars last night after the game where they have a lockout at, at 1.30, and Del Piero uh, came up and tried to get in, and the security guard had absolutely no idea who he was. It was quite a uh, quite an intriguing scene. But uh, hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, this can give a, a little bit of a boost uh, to the game here. It's certainly going to give a boost to, to our national team because it means we're going to uh, Russia at least once and hopefully twice. But, you know, the, the Confederations Cup in 2017 is also a big uh, ticket uh, for, for us and the preparations for the World Cup going forward. Yeah, thank you. So just to wrap this um, and coming back to you, Bob, like, looking past your lifetime, watching previous Asian Cups, how did you compare this to the others um, and to see the growth of Asian football? I think on a, the fact that it was hosted by Australia, it's, it probably was a window towards, uh, excuse the word, but uh, as big of a Western audience as ever. So uh, I think that's good for Asian football overall. I know over the last few days there have been some rumors about some West Asian, uh, confeder- uh, some West Asian uh, football associations not being happy with Australia's presence. I think that uh, we should embrace it. Uh, the fact that Australia is here is good for Asian football as much as it's good for uh, Australia as well. Maybe they should take in more Asian players into the Australian league. That could possibly uh, benefit uh, uh, Asian teams from the West or China or Korea, Japan, etc. But other than that, I think it's been good that it's been hosted by Australia. And I, I look forward to the challenge of trying to beat Australia. I actually don't think that they've dominated Asian football. And I don't think that uh, uh, they're unbeatable, especially with this transitional generation that they have right now. In terms of overall qualities of Asian Cup, I would say this has been the best one since the one well, 1996 on a personal level for Iran, where we really had an impressive side, and uh, we probably should have won it if it wasn't for the referee again. But uh, it's becoming a theme, I guess. But uh, I definitely think this is the best quality Asian Cup that I've watched since 1992. Wow, Sina. Um, yeah, I. Agree with everything about us. Although I'm, uh, I'm too young for the 1992 tournament. But, yes. <laughs> um, but certainly in, uh, in my lifetime, this has been, from an Iranian point of view, the best team that we've had. Not, not on, ter- not in terms of individual talent, because I think down the years we've had better players. But in terms of togetherness and uh, you know team cohesion, I think is certainly the best one. Togetherness is something that we always lack in Iran. Whether it's in domestic teams or the national team, there's always problems on and off the pitch. But with this one in Kairos in charge, there seems to be a real discipline in the team, and he's got the play players playing for each other, playing for their country, and playing for him. 
and you can see that in uh, in every game, not 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 only in the Asian Cup, but even in the World Cup, even the games that we lost against Bosnia or Argentina, you could see the real sympathy that the players were giving each other. And uh, to be fair, I've I've not really seen that before, and it's great to see. So that's the main positive for me going forward to to maintain that discipline and, and togetherness in the team. There's a lot of troublemakers in Iran in terms of players. Their attitude is poor and. Um, he's, he's really handled that really well and uh, it's a great sign for me. In terms of um, young players, as we said, you know, Purali Ganji, Bayron Van, Rafi, Rafuri to a certain degree, Amiri, you know, these players have come in and uh, they've done really well and, and hopefully we'll see more of them in the next few years. In terms of the Asian couple together, the quality was, was really high. Um, Australia did a fantastic job hosting it. And as Bobak said as well, the audience were more than usual, in, certainly in Europe, although the coverage wasn't ideal. Um, hopefully in the next tournaments we'll see more coverage uh, in Europe and in North America. But uh, in terms of quality, it was it's certainly getting better and there's a lot more room for improvement. And hopefully this will be, uh, you know, this tournament it can lead to a lot of young players across the continent moving to, moving to European countries developing and as a result uh, Asian teams getting better in the in world stage Tomas yeah I agree uh, but what what's um, possibly a bit sad is still uh, that there's a uh, South Southeast Asia missing uh, at the Asian Cup and I think it was Paul Williams uh, on a podcast uh, or a podcast from uh, Football Channel Asia who said that there, there were actually uh, not, not too much traveling funds in Australia. Mostly it was diaspora uh, from, from all, uh, all sorts of, uh, of uh, visiting nations. And th that's exactly where uh, South Asia, Southeast Asia uh, could, uh, could contribute, uh, as, as they are obviously a very populous uh, region. So th that's quite a shame and uh, hopefully it will get better in the future. Yeah. Scott? Yeah, I think uh, it, it, it was a great chance for us um, to show that that we can contribute to Asia because, yeah, the, the timing of these, um, you know, alleged claims from uh, Sheikh Salman were interesting and, you, you know, it's my personal opinion that there always has been and, uh, and always will be a, a core group of, say, five to ten nations that didn't want and don't want uh, Australia to be part of Asia for a variety of, of reasons that would take far too long to go into. But the thing I think a lot of people, and it gets complicated because what is Asia? I mean, where is where is the geographical boundaries of it? I mean, Guam, for example, is probably not, you know, in most people's interpretation, an Asian nation. We don't want to go too much into it, but Israel, for example, is part of the thing. So there's, there's all these countries that you can have debates whether they should or shouldn't be in it. But Australia, more than 50% of people in this country are born outside uh, of Australia, and the bulk of those are born in uh, what, at least under AFC uh, guidelines, are, are Asian nations. So if you travel around uh, the, the major cities in Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane, you see predominantly, in inverted commas, Asian people. I mean, we we are, if not already, then, uh, you know, within a very short period of time, we are an Asian nation in terms of culture, uh, in terms of languages uh, spoken, uh, in terms of cuisine and, and many, many things. We are an Asian nation. So to hear, uh, you know, perhaps people who've never... Uh, been here or, or haven't been here in recent years say that we're not part of Asia is a is a perplexing thing to me. I mean, for example, my wife is Japanese, you know, and, and there's so many uh, of these kind of, uh, you know, intermix and marriages and then the next generation comes. We we are, in my opinion, a fully uh, uh, Asian nation. And, and I think, uh, you know, to be able to host that and, and show that, and as you, you mentioned what Paul said, you know, the, the diaspora from all these countries that came out, it's, it's something that I don't think you you would get in many host nations, really. I mean, Asia is such a large area that you're always going to struggle to get traveling fans from anywhere, wherever you have it. But, you know, we're in a unique position here to be able to to, to have people coming from, you know, the various backgrounds and contributing. I mean, the next one's going to be in the UAE, so we don't know, 
you know, in terms of the crowds, if it will be the same, if you'll get the diversity within, you know, within the crowds in that tournament in four years' time. So I think from the hosting thing, it exceeded my expectations and hopefully, yeah, you know, showed that um, that that we are part of Asia, that we want to be a part of Asia and that we can contribute. In terms of the the overall quality of, of the tournament, I think it was good from a, from a tactical a perspective, I think you know Asian football's moved a, a long, long way in terms of uh, the organisation uh, and tactical movements and variations within the teams. In terms of the individual quality, I don't think we saw uh, Omar Abdulrahman aside any real standout uh, individuals. I think there was a very small number. As a matter of fact, I can't remember any uh, goals scored from free kicks, for example. So, you know, moments of individual. Uh, Brilliance, I don't think, were as evident here as they were in past tournaments. But, but uh, tactically, I think the progressions uh, uh, have kept coming. And as someone touched on earlier on, I think it was uh, Thomas. The fact that there were three of the uh, four coaches in the semi-finals, uh, you know, from from local nations, is a positive sign for football going forward uh, as well. And then, you know, we need to figure out what to do uh, with the gaps. I mean, the the, the Cup of Nations is running every two years. Do we run uh, the Asian Cup every two years? Uh, I, I was speaking with Prince Ali uh, recently and, and he uh, is of the belief that Asia needs another tournament in between and he's actually floated the idea of, you know, now that there's five uh, regions, the champions of each of the five uh, Asian zones, perhaps every two years should should get together and have another kind of a continental tournament to keep uh, improving the standard of Asian football. So a lot of uh, discussions and debates uh, as we go forward and, uh, you know, uh, and look forward to the Emirates in 2019. Yeah, thank you. Can, can, can I just add something? Go ahead. Yeah, uh, because as, as a Czech, I think I can uh, bring to your attention something like uh, European perception of uh, Australia in Asia. And it's especially how absurd it can get uh, the the whole perception, uh, because uh, I, I saw some uh, I saw some opinions like it's something like uh, Saudi Arabia won a U- European Championship or something like that, uh, which is really uh, funny and sad at, at at once, and it really shows how how. Uh, yeah, ignorant uh, my country can be uh, first, but also how, how underrated uh, really uh, Australia or mistreated Australia is as a uh, as a member of, of the AFC or uh, Asian football in general. Thank you. Bobak, I know you did a piece looking at the futures uh, team melee on your blog. Um, would you want to explain, elaborate on that? Yeah, I've uh, just released, uh, just published a piece on notbottomline.wordpress.com. That's my uh, blog, and I've just looked at, uh, briefly reviewed our Asian Cup performance, let's say, as well as Carlos Kairos's, and I've glanced an eye towards what happens next and why we need Kairos at the helm and uh, what ha- what we should expect with him at the helm. So it might be interesting for some of the listeners to go on uh, notbottomline.wordpress.com and just have a look. Yeah. Well, coming back to that, speaking of Mediterranean players, I have a looking at my Twitter notifications from June Kim. He sent out a tweet asking this question: Can you guys talk about which Iranian player should play in Europe? And he's probably referencing from the domestic league. Um, Bob Axina, anyone? Yeah, uh, for me, I'd say if it's from the domestic league, then uh, I'd like to see Morteza Pur Ali Ganji mm-hmm. make the move to Europe. I feel while his stock is high right now, if the transfer window still had a few weeks to go, there was a chance that he could have moved now. But uh, let's have fingers crossed that uh, by the summer he makes a move just like Sadar Azmoun, Ali Reza Haidi, and uh, Ali Reza Jahanbash, as well as Said Ezra Talahi, uh, to Europe. I feel that. The younger our players move, we can take a leaf out of Japan and probably Korea's book, sending younger players to Europe, and it makes a big difference uh, in how they develop. And it's opened up a door for a lot of other players to be inspired and uh, to see that, yes, you can get recognition by moving to Europe. And even if you're not playing regularly yet, you can you can see that the national team manager is keeping an extra eye on you. Yeah. Sina, um, I'm, I definitely know you're going to say Reza and Ayati, but who's your domestic player? Um, yeah, Reza and Ayati, of course, without <laughs> question. Uh, he's like the Iranian version of Yunus Mahmoud, right? Yeah. That's, that's what he is. But, um, yeah, as Bobak said, Mortazapur Ali Ganji, without a question, not just because of the potential that he has, but 
you know, he's for me the future of uh, of the team as well. He's one that you can build a team around. But uh, putting him aside, uh, one player that we should definitely mention is Esan Safi. Uh, for me, sometimes we forget that this guy is only 24 years old. He's he's got around 70 odd caps. He's played pretty much in every position for the national team, and he's a great player. And he was apparently close to moving to the Premier League in summer, but the move didn't uh, didn't happen because of work permit mm-hmm. issues. But yeah, I would love to see him move in the, in the near future. Personally, I see him as the future captain of uh, of Team Melli after Ekunam retires. And uh, I think it would be great to to see him in Europe because I, I, I believe not only not only he has the ability, but I think he has the attitude to uh, to move to Europe and, and develop his football. He, he's a, he works really hard. He's a, he's a great player. He has, he has a great attitude, and uh, I think he can he can become even uh, even better. Thank you, Tomas. Got any players that you saw from our Iranian domestic league that caught your eye? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, you guys already know that Exan uh, Hashsafi is also my favorite. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> since yeah, he's. he's uh, Energetic, combative, versatile, yet skillful. Uh, you could see how, how uh, great his ball technique is is uh, when he scored that uh, wonder goal. Uh, and yeah, I, I think he's uh, even suitable for for the English Premier League straight away. Straight away, uh, mainly uh, because of his attitude, as uh, Sina mentioned, and because of his versatility. Uh, he's he's seriously. Uh, usable everywhere around the pitch and uh, I think that could come handy uh, even for Hull City I think uh, they were interested in him uh, according to some reports and they could really use him I think Scott? Yeah I agree uh, exactly uh, Hans Safi and uh, Puala Ganzi uh, for me were real standouts and uh, and as I touched on earlier it's so important for these players uh, to be moving abroad, uh, particularly uh, at a young age, and uh, getting experience. You know, I didn't even think uh, Purala Ganzi was going to, to start in this tournament, and, and to see how impressive he was was uh, really one of the breakthrough uh, you know performers of the whole tournament. Thank you guys for doing this once again. Uh, in the future, and in the future, we're definitely going to get into talking about um, Carlos Cairo spe- specifically, and seeing um, what he, where he wants to take our country, and hopefully the Iranian Federation. What looks like they're going to keep him. Going on and forwards, um, Scott and Tomas, I really appreciate it and I hopefully to see you guys soon. Once again, thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. Great pleasure. Likewise, anytime, guys. Thank you. And same for Sina and Bobak as always, you know. Thank you guys once again. It's a pleasure. Thank you guys.